Uh, Turning your Bibles to John chapter 9. Uh, We uh, will read the whole chapter. We're continuing in our series in the Gospel of John, and um, it seems frequently now taking uh, whole chapters, uh, larger chunks. Uh, I think I mentioned um, last week, or I think maybe, um, again, this is one of those passages that you could split up into pieces, but it's all one thought. It's all one complete scene, um, all one story. And so it seemed to to make sense to keep it together. Therefore, since we're reading 41 verses, I won't ask you to stand. Uh, We normally would stand as we read God's Word together. Uh, There is a line at which I don't yet know what that line is. I go by feel. Um, So it just just seems beyond that line. So if you would, uh, would you? And then let me also call your attention to our response Um, It's printed in your bulletin. But would you give your attention uh, to the reading of God's holy uh, and infallible word? As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his Parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with 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 the saliva and said to him, go Uh, And then he anointed the man's eyes and with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. 
Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, if you laughed, you got it. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, as we come to this, your word, would you open our eyes that we might see not just the truth of Scripture, but that we might see Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. I'm almost ashamed to, to admit it, quite honestly, that uh, the more I read this passage over the last couple of weeks, the harder it was for me to get David Copperfield out of my mind. No, not the book. The Illusionist. Remember David Copperfield? Made a plane disappear. Made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I guess the piece I can't figure out, though, is how come there's no, like, he put the Statue of Liberty back? Like, where's that story? Where's that ABC special, right? He was on TV for a while and, you know, they were doing all these things on television <coughs> for all to see. If I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I, I wouldn't have believed it. But the Statue of Liberty is there and there's no... Special. There's no David Copperfield puts the Statue of Liberty back. Special. And literally all I could think about over the past week was, was that really what David Copperfield wants is for you to focus on what isn't there so that you can't see what is. And in some ways, I think that's what sin does to us. In some ways, I think that's what the fall does to us. It causes us to, to focus on what isn't there so that we're unable to see what is there clearly. First in this passage, I want you to see sight 
darkened by sin. Notice that as the passage begins, it begins in essence with a question. Jesus and his disciples have have left the temple uh, at the end of chapter eight. And perhaps it's it's literally like he's gone out the door, closed the door and on the road. And there's this blind man. We're not given a real sort of clear time lapse. Uh, You know that there's a location change. There's a scene change, right? The, The screen goes dark and then the light comes back on again. They close the curtain, reset the stage, open the curtain, and then Jesus is passing by. But it's entirely possible he's literally just left the temple. But it begins with a question. And and the disciples sort of confess that they believe instant karma is going to get you. They, They understand this notion that if this guy's blind and has been from birth, who do we blame for this? Was it him? Did he sin in utero and, and so was born blind? Maybe it was his parents. Maybe his parents did something. They're, they have some sin. There's something they did. And, and this is the result. This is the, the sort of punishment. This is the retribution for your sin. I mean, it's, it was certainly a common enough thought then. And, and the reality is, we frequently think it too. I mean, how often have you kind of like stumped your toes? You're walking out the door in a hurry to get to, to school. Well, doggone it. If I'd had my quiet time this morning, I wouldn't have kicked the threshold. I wouldn't have kicked that chair. I wouldn't have bashed my pinky toe on, right? Or, or we do the reverse. Like all these great things are happening to me today. That's because I had my quiet time. I actually spent 12 extra minutes reading the Bible this morning. And God's getting me back. He's sort of honoring me for the things that I, we believe in instant karma. It's, it's not biblical, mind you. But we're sort of drawn to that idea. But here's the thing. The reality is that if the disciples had stopped their question after the third word, we'd be fine. <clears throat> Rabbi... Who sinned? Because that's actually a legitimate question. In fact, that's a very biblical question to ask. And the reality is there's a very biblical answer to the question. And the answer is, well, Adam did. It's because of Adam and Eve's, and we won't belabor this because this actually is our Sunday school lesson in the next hour, by the way, in the adult Sunday school class. Um, but the reality is it's, it's Adam and Eve's first transgression that introduces things like blindness into the world. Blindness is a thing. For that matter, I have to wear these annoying glasses because the fall is real, because sin exists, because Adam and Eve rebelled against God their King. And so it some level, the answer is, well, Adam did, therefore this man is. Although it's not quite that simple. It's not Adam sinned, so this man is blind, but it is Adam sinned, so blindness is a thing. That's a, a fair and legitimate question. This man's 
eyesight is actually darkened by sin. It's actually affected by the reality of sin in the world. But he's not the only one struggling with this. He's not the only one who can't see or can't see clearly. Because if you notice in verses 8 through verse 34, literally it's a story of people. It's a whole account of people who can't see. I don't know if you noticed or not, but as we were reading the passage, Jesus disappears. Like after the after he puts mud, spit mud on the blind man's eyes, Jesus is absent. And then there's this whole series of convert hours past, presumably. This man has to go to the pool. He has to watch. He has to come back in. And people start going, hey, what's the deal? And they go and send for his parents. They find them and bring them in and question them. And then they start questioning him again. It's hours. I mean, there's all kinds of time going by. And Jesus is gone. Jesus isn't there at all. And there's so many people in this passage who are unable to see what's clearly right in front of them. Just, just look at the people who are sort of spiritually blinded. The, the eyes of their heart, as it were, are blinded by the darkness of sin. This man has neighbors. He has people who have seen him begging outside the, the temple. They've seen him begging on the side of the road. And they say, well, wait a minute, this is that guy. Well, no, he just looks like that guy. And now, keep in mind, in the back of their mind is, is, the very, is the very reasonable thought. Blind people don't suddenly see. So as much as he might look like that guy, I know there's one thing that makes it absolutely impossible for him to be that guy. It's got to be his identical twin, right? And we're talking doppelganger of all doppelganger. It has to be because blind people don't suddenly see. And he's like, but, but it's me. Like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm the guy. I am the guy you've been seeing. It's still me right here. Still me. And he recounts the story and he recounts the story over and over again to anyone who would listen. And then the Pharisees, blinded by their own guilt and in fact, really blinded by the law or their own law. You see their problem? It can't possibly, this guy poss couldn't possibly have healed you because he did it on the, he needed. K-N, needed, like dough. Bread makers, you need, K-N-E-A-D, is that how it's spelled? You need dough, right? That's what he did. He needed, not, he spit on the ground. He took dust, mixed it with water. He took a dry thing, mixed it with a wet thing, made it together into a paste. That's needing. He's guilty. He broke the law. He broke the Sabbath. He violated the fourth commandment. It can't possibly he doesn't have any authority to do this. He couldn't possibly have, have healed you like that. He can't possibly be who you seem to think he is because nobody who breaks the fourth commandment could possibly have done that work. No sinner, certainly. He's sort of broken their, their, their law, right? The... the I don't know, the book of pharisaical rules that about the things you can't do 
on the Sabbath in order to make sure you keep the Sabbath. That's a really long, cumbersome title. Nobody would read that book, but that's their book, right? And he's, he's broken that law. The Pharisees had, had added to the Ten Commandments. They'd added to the law of God because, okay, again, and I do this all the time, right? This is sort of my default thing. Let's give them all the benefit of the doubt we possibly can. Best case scenario, they cared about keeping the law enough that they made more law. They cared enough about no, not going beyond the fence. They built another fence so they wouldn't bump into the fence that God actually built. Right? Like if you give them all the credit in the world, all the best intentions, the problem is what may have started as their own desire has become the way they sort of keep track of everyone else around them. Right? They've, they, their book is now the standard by which they measure everyone else around them. Their real question, their real struggle with this healing is... It revolves around their application of the law of God. A sinner can't do signs like that. Incidentally, you ever find yourself sort of evaluating other people's spirituality by the rules you've created and added to the Bible? Right? We, we take... This is what Scripture says, and then we go, well, but these also are rules about what really is a truly spiritual person. And then we evaluate the people around us. They don't measure up to these rules that I've created about what I think a truly spiritual person is and looks like. We are frequently guilty of exactly the thing that the Pharisees are doing. Using our own sort of man-made concepts adding to the, the, the uh, sufficiency of Scripture in a way that creates new standards to hold to people, the people around us to them. Now, it, they can agree, I think, on verse 32, right? The one thing everyone in the passage can agree on is that never has this happened since the beginning of the world. Like, this is not a thing. This, it's not like, well, we've got, you know, nine examples of... No, never has it happened since the world began that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This isn't normal. This, this, isn't, this isn't a thing. And it's the, the one place, it seems, that they can all agree. And what, can, what they can agree on is the fact that you actually have to have power and authority over creation itself to do that. You can't be just some really, really good doctor. You actually have to have power and authority over creation itself. And what the darkness of their sin won't let them see is that he stands right there in front of them. In fact, he's, he's proven this time and time again. He's already turned water into wine. That's not even a natural... He didn't turn grape juice into wine. That's a natural process. People could excuse that, right? Oh, well, really, what it means... Is, no, he turned water into wine. That's 
That doesn't happen. He's, he's violated the laws of nature on a number of occasions already. But all of these people between verses 8 and 34 are unable and unwilling to see it. This is why, by the way, the idea of just piling up a whole bunch of evidence, I just don't think is the best way to evangelize non-Christians. Well, here's all the, look, let me just, here's all, just drop the big pile on the desk in front of the judge. Right? You're like you've, you carry in all of your evidence into the courtroom. You set it down on the table in front of your buddy. And you go, here's all the evidence that Jesus... That's not going to help them. I mean, that, that evidence can confirm an unbeliever's condemnation, but it can't convert them. Because these people have all the evidence in the world standing right in front of them. And it's, and it's perfectly clear. And they are unable and unwilling to see it. And these Jewish leaders even rebuke the man. You were born, verses 33 and 34, you were born in utter sin and yet you would deign to teach us. They clearly understand, they clearly agree that only someone with power and authority can give sight to someone born blind, but they will find whatever way they can to dismiss that person. They couldn't hear it. This man has to be from God, but I refuse to accept it. The Pharisees really, and, and these, these Jewish leaders, all sort of paint a picture of people who think they see perfectly clearly. They, they paint a picture for us of people who think that their sight is completely Unhindered, And yet what they don't realize is that it, they're blinded by the darkness of their own sinful hearts. The people who, have, who think they have the clearest understanding, who think they have the clearest sight, are unable to see because their hearts are blinded by sin. That's us. Right? That's, that's us apart from God's grace. That's us unless... Jesus does something to us and for us. Second, we see the we see blindness enlightened by grace. Um, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's something missing in the first seven verses of this chapter. Something that I thought when it sort of struck me, it, it was one of those things that's so that's obviously absent that you don't notice it. You know, it's so obviously absent that you don't notice that it's not there. And when you do, you think that that's strange that it's not there. Any ideas? The blind guy never says anything. <clears throat> I find that fascinating. He doesn't say, hold on. Hey, Jesus, I, I hear you. I know you're coming by. People are talking about you. Could you heal me? Could you give me my sight? It's almost like he's not even the point. He's literally an accessory. He's not the main character. He's not even, you know, best supporting actor, sort of. He's not even up for that role. He's literally an extra. He's this accessory to the story. There's this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And then suddenly Jesus takes dirt, earth, 
spits on it, makes this muddy, pasty stuff, smashes it on the guy's eyes, and sends him off to bathe in the pool. The guy never speaks and doesn't see Jesus until verse 35. This guy's an extra in the play. He's not the main character, and he's not even one of the, the supporting cast. He's not up for the best supporting actor. It's Jesus who initiates giving him his sight. It's Jesus who suddenly decides, I'm going to let you see. I'm going to grant you the privilege of, of eyesight, something you've never had in your life. You don't have to ask for it. It was Jesus' idea. Jesus initiated the work. Jesus initiated the relationship with this guy. And then grabs this. And it's, y'all, I'm not sure I'd want to see. i got to be completely honest with you. Somebody's spittle paste mud on my face. John Calvin sees a connection between what Jesus does here And what God does in Genesis 2 verse 7 in the creation of man. Scoops up some earth. Breathes the breath of life into him. And gives him life. In many ways, Jesus is is acting out the same thing he did when he created Adam to begin with. How do you know that Jesus has power and authority over creation? Well, not only because this guy comes back and goes, I can see you now, right? And Jesus is the way, but he even acts that out for us to see. He takes some earth, sort of replicates breathing on it, spits on it, makes this paste. And there's this picture then that If Jesus can undo blindness, then he must be the creator God in the flesh. The reality is, it's the only logical explanation. And yet, those left in their sin cannot and will not hear it, will not agree to it. Even though the man himself admits it in verse 32. He has to be God because nobody else can do this. And then this man goes off and washes in the pool. And for some strange reason, we're told in verse 7 that Siloam means sent. But you don't send a pool. That seems like a weird thing. Who sends a pool? Like it's, it's, it's out there. It's a thing. Like it, it is where it is and, and it stays there. Unless the picture isn't about the pool itself, about, but about the one who is actually sent to give the healing, to give this man his sight. But it's not just physical sight that, that needs healing in this passage. It's not just this man's physical sight that is a, a product of God's grace uh, to him in his life. Because notice what happens in verse 35. Uh, Jesus learns that this man has been excommunicated from the synagogue. That's what put him out, cast him out. He, he doesn't mean they picked him up. It's not a bouncer, right? They threw him out the door and he landed on the ground. And kind of, 
No, no, they, they, they told him, you're not allowed back here again. You, you have trusted in Jesus. You can't, you're not welcome here. You can't be here. And so he's, he's been excommunicated from this synagogue and Jesus finds out about it. And so Jesus pursues him. Now, it's interesting if you think about it, because this man's livelihood is gone. His job his whole life has been to beg. Now we can see he can't beg. And, and everything about his income is gone. Uh, he's, he's, um, he's had issues at the temple all along again because of a physical ailment. He's not allowed in certain parts of the temple. And, and Jesus goes and pursues him and seeks him out and begins this conversation with him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? That word, Son of Man, comes from the book of Daniel. It's a reference to the final authoritative kingdom on the earth. We'll leave it at that for now. And do you notice what happens in the course of this conversation? This man believes in Jesus. And we're told, verse 38, worshipped him. You see, there's this picture then. Siloam, the pool, the name of the pool is sent, but the pool isn't sent to heal this man. Jesus has been sent to heal this man. Jesus is the one who's been sent to reverse the curse, to reverse the effects of the fall. Jesus is the one who has come to undo, to make right all that Adam broke. Yes, everything said will come untrue. That's the work of Jesus. That's the work of the Messiah. He's been sent to undo the effects of the fall, both physical and spiritual. He's been sent to fix what's broken, to give sight to the spiritually blind that we might see Him. We see the uh, sight darkened by sin. We see blindness enlightened by grace. Lastly, briefly, light is given so that we might worship the light of the world. Jesus comes to heal and he's come to, to make right, but he's, he's also come to do something else. And, and yes, we're sure, we know, we tell people all the time, Jesus came to save sin. What did Jesus do? Well, he came to save sinners. And that's true. But that's not what he says here. Did you notice? I hope at some level you sort of struggled with verse 39 to 41? Because on the one hand, Jesus has told us just in the last chapter, he didn't come to judge. And now he's telling us he did come to judge. So which is it? Well, it just so happens that, that this judgment isn't the final judgment. It's not the, it's not the judgment he's going to give when he comes back and separates the sheep from the goats. That's a different kind of, what is, this is, this is a, a separation. This is a determination. This is an evaluation. This is a, a marking out of two different kinds of people in the world, right? This is, this is, um, we do this all the time. You read through the old Testament and there's, there's two people, 
Right? There's Jews and Gentiles. You, you read through the New Testament and there's two people. There's Christians and non-Christians. There's Jew-Gentile. That's going to be an issue in the Galatians study. There's, there's, well, there's the sighted and the blind. And it just so happens that, that what Jesus tells us is that those who are blind are the ones who are able to see and it's the ones who think they can see who are the ones that are still in their guilt and therefore are actually blind. It's confusing. It gets messy and cumbersome because you start to realize, oh, I actually want to be the blind one. Not permanently, but, but blind so that I then know my need of Christ. I know my need of the Savior. In fact, this... This man doesn't even lay eyes on Jesus, pun intended, of course, until verse 35. He runs off to the pool and then Jesus is gone and then he comes back into the scene when Jesus comes back to the man, finds him, seeks him out. And only then does he see Jesus. Of course, he doesn't know who he's looking at. He hasn't seen him yet, right? Jesus was gone, comes back from the pool. Jesus isn't around. He hasn't seen him. He doesn't know who he's talking to. Do you want to believe in the Son of Man? And, and his response is, well, yes, but... I don't know where he is. And Jesus says, you, you've seen him. I want you to notice something. He doesn't say, you see him. He uses a past tense verb. But the guy literally, literally just sees Jesus for the first time. How is this possible? Well, did you... Did you notice the language of the man as the passage moved on, as the scene progressed? Walk with me. Grab your Bible. Verse 11. In verse 11, he calls Jesus the man called Jesus. Now, if we look down in verse 17, he's a prophet. Verse 27, when he sort of mocks the, the Pharisees, he says, in essence, do you want to, be, to become his disciples? The suggestion is that he does, right? And in verse 32, he admits, he recognizes that Jesus actually has the power and authority over creation that nobody else has ever had. Do, do you hear that? His holding Jesus at arm's length gets shorter and shorter. Instead of that man, Jesus, his faith is growing this whole time. He seems to recognize that there's something about this man, Jesus, that these other people in the room can't see. These people have their eyeballs. I didn't. But I'm the one that sees him clearly. You guys have actually watched him do things and you can't see him clearly? He literally is, seems both befuddled and he mocks them for it. Why on earth did this happen to this man? What's the answer to the, to the cause of this man's blindness? Well, the answer is in verse 3. And this, by the way, is why we sing God moves in a mysterious way. Right? This man is blind because God wants him to be. That 
sounds horrific, doesn't it? Pull up any prosperity gospel preacher, you'll never get that. Like they throw out the book of Job. They throw out verse 3. It's not because God wanted it. No, 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 no. God wants him to have his... And all this sort of stuff, it can't be because... Literally, God wanted a canvas to paint on. God created a canvas on which he could paint his glory. And that's exactly why this man is blind. He is an accessory. He isn't the point. The point is the glory of your Savior. The point is the glory of God. The point is so that he would fall on his knees and worship. Y'all, we're not just saved so that we can have our get out of hell free card when the day comes. We're saved to worship. We're saved to honor and glorify Christ with everything about us. Jesus saves us so that we might worship Him. That's why we see. That's why He gives us sight. So that we can see the very one whom we worship. And it's why these remain in their sin. Because they're worshiping themselves. They're not worshiping Him. And so they remain in their darkness. They remain in their blindness. Unless and until Christ in His grace removes their scales as well. And now there's more clarity to verses 39 to 41. God's economy is backwards, right? If you want to be first, be last. If you want the seat of honor, if you think you deserve the seat of honor, if you think you're supposed to be the seat of honor, you don't want it. You take the seat at the end and, and let chips fall as they may. If you, the, the way up is the way down. The, the way to lead is to serve. God's economy is all backwards and topsy-turvy. Those who see are the ones that are actually blind. Those who are blind are the ones who in Christ can actually see clearly. Have you come to Christ? Can you see Him clearly or are you still in the darkness of your sin? Have you come to Christ with your clear eyesight, as it were, and laid it at the cross and asked for the clarity of His grace to see yourself, to see your need, to see His world, to see Him more clearly? Or are you still holding Jesus at arm's length and telling Him that I can see just fine, thank you very much, I don't need your help? Come to Christ and worship Him for... The salvation given to us by His grace. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You have uh, taken those scales from us that blinded us even to Your light. Uh, that blinded us in our own sin and darkness. That we might be redeemed. That we might see You and Your world more clearly. We pray that you would use us to take your light to those who are still in darkness. 
Would you remove their scales? Would you grow your kingdom? Would you gather your people in? May we all worship and honor and glorify you. That we the lame and the blind and the sick might worship the one who gives sight and restores us. And Father, would you grow in us a longing for the world to come when all the brokenness of this world is fully and finally eradicated. To the honor and glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen.